Hey loves, this is Kate, the creative director of Loam, and I hope you all are finding ways to feel seen and supported during these turbulent times. This is a moment when we have to hold multitudes, the loss and the love, the suffering and the sadness, the possibility for transformation, and I feel truly grateful that we can do this hard work together. I'm talking today with Zahira Chaudhry. Zahira is a photographer, graphic designer, curator, and creative director raised and based in the San Francisco Bay Area. An environmental scientist and activist by training and creative by practice, Zahira cultivates spaces where art and environmentalism intersect to tell stories not captured by the modern environmental movement. As an undergraduate at UC Berkeley, Zahira helped to create the first ever Students of Color Environmental Conference, which allowed students of color from across the nation to attend in a free environmental justice conference. Zahira currently serves as the co-founder and creative director of Alluvia Magazine and is running a mutual aid campaign for people of color impacted by the COVID-19 crisis. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. So when we connected to reflect about this podcast, we talked a lot about how to navigate an oversaturated media landscape right now. Can you share how, especially as someone who's a storyteller, you're navigating this moment of information overload? Yeah, so I think when this whole crisis kind of started and I kind of realized that when I was checking the news about a month ago, I was reading like um, The Guardian and New York Times and San Francisco Chronicle for Bay Area News. I just found that their live updates about the coronavirus and just everything going on in relation to that all over the world was just really overwhelming. And I think if you go on cable news, like on the TV right now, I don't have a TV, thankfully. So I'm not watching like CNN or Fox News or MSNBC. But the little I've seen of it on the internet, it's just 24-7 keeping people in a system of constant fear so that they watch the news and these media corporations make a lot of money. And I think that it's just really disheartening to see people making money over sensationalizing this and and, and skewing it into ways that can um, be really scary for people and also create a culture of fear. And that can lead to racism and xenophobia and mistrust during these times. And I think it's really important that we monitor what media we're consuming and kind of find sources of ethical media that help nourish us and build community during this time instead of cultivating a community of isolation and fear of your neighbors and people who are experiencing this pandemic with all of us. Totally. And do you have any best practices for how to make sense of this media landscape? You know, what are you doing to help you integrate information and continue to cultivate your capacity um, for care and compassion. Yeah. So there's three best practices that I kind of shifted myself to do more as I found out that um, big media was kind of wearing me down and making me more anxious. The first was the only news I really need right now is um, local news to know what's going on in my area, specific policies in the Bay Area and the town I'm living in, um, and just local news. And I feel like 
local news also has more of those like hometown hero stories of actually more positive news than the New York Times map of all the cases, which is really, really overwhelming. Um, the second is limiting my media consumption time. So I'm only reading the news. I give myself about 10 minutes every morning and then I don't look at it for the rest of the day. And if I want to, I look at it after I eat dinner. But after that, I kind of don't look at it at all. Before I was checking my phone constantly while working from home and it was just way too overwhelming. And the third, I think this is the best time to read and read from other people's stories. So whether that's picking up a book about fiction or narrative or reading, if it is the news and online, like reading and think piece or reading like a short story, something that even if it's about the coronavirus and about the world right now, it puts a little bit more of a human aspect into it. It's not just science and people yelling and being scared. It's reconnecting with people around us and listening to them. And I think that's really important right now. I feel that. And that's especially one of the reasons that I love Yes Magazine so much is because it's a really beautiful balance of stories that speak to the urgency and the sadness of the moment, but also offer insight into regeneration that's rooted in a commitment to collective liberation. And it feels so important, as you were saying, to have to intake news like that, right? That highlights hometown heroes that, that offers a roadmap for resilience so that you're finding ways to take action, even as you're processing the, the momentous gravity of what's happening and, and action too, right. Can just be slowing down um, and being still and, and being present to, to all that's unfolding. So something, something that I want to explore as well is, you know, both of us, we work in the realm of storytelling and media and narrative. And we're, and we're also in this moment, uh, my friend Jess, we were on a walk the other day and she said it really beautifully. Um, we're in a moment where we're really being asked as creatives to to shift towards being consumers and for consumption to be an act of, of almost patriotic duty, right? Right now to consume. Yeah. If we want artists and creative and makers and storytellers um, and small businesses, if we want any of that to exist on the other side of this, we need to consume. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's really hard right now, right? Because we want to believe that a gov- our government would take care of the artists and the activists and educators in our community, mm-hmm. um, right? And the small business owners who are doing, who are providing, you know, a much needed antidote to big business and and feeling like that's on us means that so many of us feel this pressure to consume, to exactly. to come back to these capitalist practices that are at the root of this problem, um, to, mm-hmm. to really over consume. So I would love to hear your thoughts on, on how you're navigating that space as an artist. Yeah. Um, I think first of all, I think it's really unfortunate that the burden of, or the survival of our community members who rely on small businesses or rely on their jobs as artists and teachers, just people who or servers or domestic workers who have just been put out of work because of this crisis are not being taken care of by the government that claims to 
be empowered to take care of the people. And I think it's falling on community members. And I think that's really unfortunate because um, we're all spread so thin right now. It shouldn't be our responsibility to make sure every single business in our town doesn't go out of business. It should be on the government. And I think right now a lot of people are organizing around that, which is it's a sad situation, but it's also a situation of power, of redistributing wealth during this time and relying on mutual aid networks. Um, in the Bay Area, there um, is over hundreds of different mutual aid networks that I keep seeing on Instagram um, for the the Oakland Service Workers Fund, which people have been Venmoing in for service workers that have lost their jobs in the city of Oakland and need to pay their rent and need to feed their families. And it's really cool that, yes, the government has failed us, um, but it's cool to see people coming together in a moment of financial solidarity and really calling out the people who still have a job who have access to generational wealth and are going to be fine, honestly, during this crisis and really um, calling on them to say, hey, you need to support the folks in your community because there's no one helping them out right now. And the government is not helping them out, so they must rely on their community. The second is going back to uh, what you mentioned earlier of capitalism creating this, I think we are stuck in a cycle of basically capitalism creating destruction, hurting the ones that are forced to work in really bad labor conditions and are um, exploited by its system are the ones that get hurt the most in these crises. I think as we continue environmental degradation because of we want cheap consumer goods and that's what capitalism does it goes into the natural environment it takes indigenous land away it clear cuts and exploits all of the little natural resources that we have left um and then as we do that we are invading the habitats of all these animals and we are destroying the permafrost and both of those human animal or human melting permafrost interactions have the capacity for releasing more diseases, more pathogens, and that could wreak havoc on the human population like coronavirus is right now. And it's all created by capitalism. And I think it's really sad to see corporations right now capitalizing on this crisis by having sales. Um, I've been online window shopping like a lot of people because I'm bored in my house um and it's really easy to go on websites and be like oh these shoes are 50% off or oh my god these Levi's jeans are 75% off that never happens and it's because yes these corporations are failing but we are being told by the government to keep them going to keep them going to boost our economy instead of really critiquing that capitalism created this climate change crisis, this coronavirus crisis, and we're not being allowed to critique that. And I think mutual aid networks and community healing this time are a way to kind of get out of that cycle of capitalism destruction, capitalism destruction, and having the burden instead of people in power be on um, people in the community. Right, because I think 
there are important ways that as a community we can support one another. This is something that Wael on speaks really beautifully to in Compassion in Crisis, which is a book that um, Kailea, Bertha Zohan, and I co-authored, right, where there's self-sovereignty, how yeah. independent communities of care can emerge. Um, but it's interesting because it's like the financial support should be coming should be coming from the government. There should be a care yeah. for how many people are suffering. And then communities can be invited to show up to each other in, in different ways. Exactly. Nurturing new economies and, and new systems of care. And so I'm wondering in your own in your own landscape right now, what has mutual aid looked like in practice? How are you finding ways to show up that that help you, you know, that both give you the space give you spaciousness in this moment and continue to keep you connected to the ecosystem that you're a part of? Yeah. So I think I first learned or I saw all these mutual aid um, campaigns, both locally, nationally, internationally showing up on my Instagram feed and people were sharing it through stories. And it was um, mutual aid for folks who are not going to receive the $1,200 check folks that are have already lost their jobs. So I'm talking about houseless folks, um, undocumented folks, low-income folks of color who really do not have a financial safety net during this crisis. So I started seeing these campaigns popping up to make sure people could pay their rent, to make sure um, undocum- this group that um, I know called Visibilt they make sure undocumented trans women of color in the Bay Area are can still pay their rent and have access to food during this time. Um, and I think I saw that and I was like, wow, this is really powerful. And at that time, uh, about a month ago, I was feeling really powerless. I was sitting at home and I was working from home, but I felt like I wasn't... Um, I had a lot of privilege of still being able to have a job and I wasn't doing anything with it. So what I decided was we produced the first issue of Olivia magazine last year. And um, up until now, oh, or about a month ago, we were just selling print issues that we would mail to people. So I decided to convert the print issue to a digital issue. And, um, we decided to sell digital issues um, as a mutual aid benefit. So we created a mutual aid campaign and all 100% of the funds that we have um, raised so far, almost $300 right now, um, are being split four ways between Visibilt, an organization that helps undocumented trans women of color survive in the Bay Area, um, Village Oakland, which works with right now getting food, shelter, and health supplies to houseless folks in Oakland. Um, the Navajo and Hopi Families Relief Fund, which is a GoFundMe helping folks of the Navajo and Hopi nations get access to medical care right now. And the fourth was Gay for You, which is a vegan pop-up in West Oakland that continues to have always fed um, trans people of color for free at their restaurant while providing um, um, low cost, really good, yummy vegan food. So we chose those four organizations because we felt like they were really doing frontline work with communities that really needed care during this time. Um, and we could sell magazines and really help them out. So I think that was, um, really, I felt really good doing that because it's getting 
a different media perspective out there by um, giving folks access to the first if- issue of our magazine, highlighting environmental artists of color, and second, really helping out these communities of color on the front line who do not have a financial safety net, per se, during this time. So much of what you're sharing really speaks to the need to adapt mm-hmm. our work right now as storytellers, right? The shift from print to digital might be an example of that, this desire to really use our spaces to support mutual organizations that we care about. So I'm wondering, you know, because I think this is true for, I know this is true for Loam, and I know this is true for a lot of artists and activists in our community. What does adaptation right now look like as a platform for storytelling? I know in my own experience, I felt this push-pull between wanting to shift online Mm -hmm. and then also feeling like, totally fatigued by screens yeah and like my work is you know this work is is meant to be felt and touched and and you know it's it's meant to be embodied and tactile so yeah where where are you at with that I think one thing I really like about print or non-digital art is basically the richness that you feel from a mag- holding a magazine or the richness you feel from going to a concert and like feeling the music all around you. Just like this richness that you can't really capture on a computer or a mobile device. And I think what I'm learning right now is how to kind of... Sh- continue to capture the richness of storytelling and preserve that in a digital context. And it's been hard. Like I really, when I created Alluvia last year, the first issue, I was really adamant on making it a print issue because I wanted people to sit down and like hold the paper in their hand and look at the photos and read the interviews and feel like they were really connecting with the artists that had shared their stories with us. And I think it's really easy to have that get lost on the internet. But I think when it comes to adaptation, especially in times like this, where it's very hard to create physical art that needs to be done in a certain place, um, obviously with maybe groups of people, which is not feasible during this time, I think we really have to push our boundaries to other mediums, whether that's podcasts like you're doing right now, videos, um, photographs that really put you in the moment, whether you're holding it in a magazine or um, looking at it online. Just I think we need to push ourselves to really protect that richness in our work and translate it to digital media. And I think another way to do that is putting integrity in the work and not necessarily have it be continuing forever like I think we get really overwhelmed with the news because it's 24 7 but I really like that even though we made Alluvia Digital it had a beginning middle and end of reading the entire issue so that kind of um timeline feels like you can be in that moment but it's not overwhelming like the internet which just you can scroll forever and ever and ever and spend hours and hours on it yeah, so I, I totally feel that. Yeah. <laughs> that it's a, it's a black hole right now, especially. And I think, too, it's, you know, it's a balance, right, between wanting to create um, 
art that really responds to this moment and makes people mm-hmm. feel seen and held and supported, but also honoring that for not everyone, this is going to be a time of productivity. Exactly. You know, this is, for a lot of people, this is a moment of just presence and pause, and that's just as valuable too. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, just honoring wherever you're at yeah. has felt increasingly important. Yeah, I think um, I think there's this big push, especially from like folks who were who still have jobs, which is a privilege right now, to stay productive or companies to be like, okay, we're working from home, but we expect you to stay productive or universities to expect their students to still give the same hours of work a week on their course load, even though they might be home, they might be working more, they might be trying to support their families or moving back into their family's house, which is a lot of emotional toll for lots of folks. And I think like, I think we also during this time need to just cultivate a community of empathy um, and not relaxation, but empathy and just humility for one another and give each other a little bit extra time on that project. Give people the the ability to, to, to take a few days off work just to exist in their house or go outside. And I think right now we see a lot of corporations and capitalism being like, okay, when are we opening the country back up? Okay, you better be working from home at the same level of productivity. Okay, you better turn in all your assignments on time. And I think giving everyone a little bit of leeway right now is kind of what is needed for people to exist in this moment, to connect with their communities, to connect with um, networks of care right now, whatever that looks like for them. And for us to kind of just take a step back and look at, are these systems that are creating these crises sustainable for the future? And how do we want to treat each other after this? I keep hearing this narrative of, okay, so when are we going back to normal? When are we going back to normal? And I'm sitting here and I'm like, what is normal? Is normal like a system of capitalism that exploits the most vulnerable in our society and disproportionately impacts like low-income communities of color? Is it a system that ecologically destroys our planet until it's not hospitable for us or any of the species on it anymore. Like, I don't want us to go back to normal. I want us obviously to get through this with healing and care, but also reimagine like what is a sustainable and equitable future for us and the planet going to look like after this. So this hopefully does not happen again, or it happens less frequently than the rate of capitalism disaster cycle that we're in right now. I love what you said about creating a community of empathy. Yeah. And just being really extra good and gracious and generous with each other. Mm -hmm. I think we need so everyone just needs a lot more grace right now. Um, And, and empathy as you shared and, and giving that grace to each other will help us imagine and then take action on the world that we need because normal wasn't serving normal was serving a very select few. <laughs> um, <laughs> and now we have an opportunity to, to redefine and reimagine um, and to take small love filled actions, which again, action can be stillness too. 
towards mm-hmm. towards creating that possibility. So thank you for sharing that. That really resonated. So be- before we close, I I want to know if you have any um, practices that you want to offer that have been serving you just right now as a person <laughs> navigating this moment. If there's rituals that have been helpful for you or, or a routine that's been nourishing, what right now has helped you find a way to show up for yourself, for your loved ones? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a few things that I've found over the last month that I've been really helping my brain getting out of this like anxiousness that I was in all day, every day. Um, and the first thing is like, as most people are cooking, like reconnecting with food and recipes. Like I actually want to read a cookbook from, um, cover to cover now because I have the time to, and really thinking also about like, what am I putting into my body? Where's my food coming from? Especially remembering that a lot of people are at home and have the luxury of cooking right now, but migrant farm workers, despite the coronavirus crisis, are still being paid way less wages and are still out there picking all of our food for us. So really honing in on, yes, I have this privilege of being able to feed myself and explore new recipes, which is um, a type of self-care for me right now. Um, but also remembering who is producing that food and where it comes from. The second, I think, has been going outside. Like, I also definitely have the privilege of being in the Bay Area with access to green space. And I think really taking advantage of that and going outside for an hour a day at least and really thinking about, yes, like we're in our in our houses all day thinking about, work and paying the bills and like getting all our stuff done but not remembering that we are on this planet right now which is in a state of crisis and I think going outside kind of helps me relax but also put things into perspective of what is important and what do I want to keep working on for the future and three um I think just talking to people more like I've definitely called my grandma more these last few weeks than I was before, just because I feel like this is a time that we're all really vulnerable and conversations with others, even though it might be digital right now, is a way to really help us build that community of empathy and care that we all need to shift toward for ourselves right now. So calling people, FaceTiming, um, setting a little schedule of which friend or family member do you want to call each day just so we feel like we are all in this community going through this crisis together and we can come out of it relying on each other or we can come out of it in this state of like anxious disaster capitalism. So I think, yeah, just turning on your community, asking folks like, hey, is it okay if I call you today? I really would love that. So those are the three things I've been doing that's helped me feel more calmed down and meaningful while I'm stuck at home. Thank you for sharing that, Zahira. That was so, so beautiful. I too have been calling my grandma a lot more. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's nice to connect that way. Um, And thank you again for all the beautiful work that you're doing with Alluvia. 
um, to our listeners. You definitely have to check it out. It's such a gift um, and so very needed during these times. Uh, I also want to thank uh, our editor, Isaac Silk, for always editing these pod- uh, podcasts <laughs> um, mm-hmm. with such kindness and grace. And to Faith Harding and Isaac Silk for creating our podcast intro music. And of course, as always, to you all, I really love being in this community and feel especially, especially thankful for it right now. 